Last week was beautifully heavy, and Justin's not much of a joker in the pulpit. It's good to have some sermons that are heavy. Today will be not quite as heavy. You're free to smile at me at different times if you need to. <sighs> take a breath. Last week was not a take a breath sermon. You can even say yes or wow or amen or I'm glad if you would like. Don't forget that God governs, rules the universe by his word, upholds all things in that way, and also feeds, nourishes, strengthens, teaches, corrects, shapes his people through his word. Just the amount of people in this room could get a vision for the eternal beauty and worth of the word of God to start to shape your life. I can't, I mean, there's enough people in here to turn homes, families, cities upside down. So let's at least do our part of giving our attention to the word of his grace together. We are deeply entrenched in preaching through the last final word of the older covenant. It's the prophecy or the oracle of Malachi, Malachi, if you're from East Boston. God here is speaking words of love, of correction, of grace, of rebuke to his people. They have grown disillusioned and apathetic and, as a result, uh, ugly, sinful. Today we come across a verse of Scripture that should knock you over. It is God making a statement about himself, who he is, revealing something to his people for their good about his character. That means that today's sermon should be a little mysterious for you. I don't mean mysterious like what's in the chowder mysterious. Have you been there? I don't mean mysterious like Halloween, spooky, scary, costume, mysterious. I mean mysterious like my brain is struggling to get a hold of this truth, mysterious. One of the many sins of the late modern heart, that's us in our culture, is that we approach the study of God with Him as our subject and ourselves over and above Him and We see ourselves as able to label him and figure him out and then classify him like he's a beetle, you know, stick a pin through him, God's on the wall, I've got him figured out. That is not how it works with God. Yes, we are to give ourselves to the study of God for a lifetime, but when we do, we do it from below, humble. And what he says to be true about himself gets to define our categories and very often blows our categories up. And that's a good thing. So be ready today for your mind to go. It's going to take me some time to put these puzzle pieces together. Yes, this is the living God that we are dealing with here. And today we are going to consider the doctrine of the immutability of God, the unchangeableness of God. All right, let's pray and step into this. Hear the words of Scripture again one more time, brief but strong. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. 
Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Father, if there is anything we are desperate for, it is a vision of you that will just shake everything about us. A vision of reality as it is, earth and heaven, one day to be united together with Christ reigning. We need a taste of that today, so come and give it to your people as we gather humbly under your word. I pray that you do it. Hear me by your spirit. Amen. Okay, if there is one thing that is definitely true about human nature, about human beings, it is that we are fickle and fragile creatures. Everything about us is always changing. Everything. I could give you hundred examples. Let's just work through a few so that we get this established in your head about us. For example, our tastes are always changing. Day after Thanksgiving, Cruz is piled into the living room to put up that Christmas tree. What ends up happening is Grace throws us all out of the room and she puts up that Christmas tree perfectly the way she wants it. And I get banished to places like the attic or the basement. So I ended up finding some CDs about uh, Christmas CDs, but I ended up seeing the pathetic CD collection that the cruises have in the basement, and I said, wow, my musical tastes are fickle. When I was a child, it was those late 70s, hokey, Christian kid sing-along record things. Do you know about those? You'd buy the record in the plastic, and then you'd cut it open, and then the record would slide out, and so would this little comic booky thing with the lyrics and characters. Bullfrogs and butterflies, they've both been born again. <laughs> and Sylvania, Nathaniel the Grublet, the music machine. I'm sorry that your mother did not love you when you were a child. <laughs> but this was all the music we knew of, and it was a wonderful season But then, like all late elementary school students, we discovered the radio. This was Staten Island for a little while, so it was WPLJ and Z100. Artists like Boy George, comma, 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 chameleon. Little ditty about Jack and Diane. No idea what they're singing about, just, wow, I love this music. And, of course, UTFO, Roxanne, Roxanne. Yo, Kango, I don't think that you're dense. You just went about the matter with no experience. You should know she doesn't need a guy like you. She needs a guy like me with a high IQ. I could go all the way to the end of that rap if you would like me to. (laughs) Tastes changing. Then I got saved and I got into something called Christian rap. Do you know about this? Michael Peace and DC Talks, first two albums. And there was this artist called Carmen. I don't even know if that was music. Then... It was college. I have no idea what happened there, but it involved Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey and Matchbox 20 and the Spin Doctors. Very, very dark time in my life. From there, it was jazz and blues, and I wanted it to be hip-hop, but hip-hop got so vulgar and filthy, it was hard to do, but then Lecrae came along, which was nice. Now it's basically classical music because I'm old and I don't want to listen to the stuff on the rest of the dial. What's my point? Tastes fickle, and they change. 
You never know what you're going to get with a human being. We are a moving target. This is true about our preferences. They change. Our views, they change. Romney and Obama, both of them, moving targets. We saw that in this whole election. Change. Our commitments change. Our opinions change. Our bodies change. March 30th, 1996, I was in shape, bro. You should have seen this. It was, it was the day of our wedding. I blew Bally's total fitness up for about a year before that day. I had biceps and triceps and... <laughs> Do you know what those called, John? I'm... Whatever these are right here. Ooh, traps and lats. You could almost see cubes. Almost. On our honeymoon, I just was like, let's just walk the beach today. Now it's 17 years and four children and two jobs and a church plant later. There is no definition under this shirt at all. What happened? Bodies change. Humans change. You know that science teaches us that every single part, aspect, cell of your body will completely be changed in a lifetime. You are literally not physically the person that you were. Every molecule has changed. Change. And we know that there's a very dark side to this. We have all experienced it, right? We change our minds. We break our promises. We waver on our commitments. We go back on our words. We falter and we fail and we forget. Even the steadiest of us is is not ultimately reliable. As we grow older, we grow forgetful, we grow weak. This resolve that we had just, it wanes. We're human. To be human is to be thesaurus, flimsy, volatile, uncertain, ever-changing. You never really know what you're going to get. But then we come to God. As he has revealed himself to be in the scriptures, And our text today, clear as a bell, breathtaking, you guys, stops you in your tracks. Whoa. Because into this reality of ours that is ever-changing and not dependable and not certain, we get this declaration. Verse 6, Malachi 3. For I, the Lord, do not change. Theologians call this truth the doctrine that emerges from the texts in the scripture that sound like this right here. They call it the immutability of God. The im part there means not, and the mutability part there means mutation or change or fluctuation. You put those two together, and what do you get? Immutable, not mutable. God doesn't change. I don't know if you notice this, but very often in trying to articulate the attributes of God, we end up going with language of negation. You know what I mean by negation? That means defining something by stating what it is not. Like the Sacramento Kings are not awesome. Not. This comes in very handy in situations when 
everything else that we've ever seen is a certain way. And then there's this one exception that is not like everything else. And the best way to capture that exception over there, its uniqueness, its distinctness, is to use the language of negation to say, here's the best way I can explain it to you. It is not like that. Can everyone feel why, in this case, with this attribute of God, negation is the best way to express this truth? It's like saying, look, here is everything else we have ever known and ever experienced. Every physical reality, universes, molecules, every relationship I've ever been in, my own flimsy, volatile heart, everything we know changes except not God. He is surprisingly not like everyone and everything else. Everything else is mutable, not God. You have no idea what you're going to get with everyone else, but with God, you know He is not mutable. Okay, let's talk some about what this doctrine means. First of all, immutability means that the triune God does not change in his essence. By that we mean that God personally is who he is, and that does not change. He is who he infinitely, eternally has been, and who he infinitely, eternally will be. He just is. Remember Moses, burning bush? Who do I say sent me to Pharaoh? What's God's answer? Tell Pharaoh... I am has sent you. Now, there's a lot wrapped up in that self-designation of God. Immutability is one of the things. I wasn't one thing, and I'm in the process of becoming another, and then eventually I may end up over there. I am permanently, unendingly, present tense. He is who he is, unchanged and unchanging. Very important. This means that God is not like you. He is not in the process of becoming who he will eventually be. That's you. That's me. That's not God. He is complete and perfect in himself. No potentialities in God. When you are complete and perfect and you have always been, there's nowhere for you to go from there. As a sinful, imperfect creature, you could change for the better or for the worse. God doesn't roll like that. Change is not a category in God. He is already infinitely perfect, has been. He's never going to slip from being that, and you can't become any more of that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In his essence, God doesn't change. We also say that God, because of that, doesn't change in his attributes or his perfections. God is perfectly holy And it's never going to change. Sin cannot even tempt God. He'll never do what's wrong. In his essence, he is the standard of right and wrong, necessarily holy. There is no chance at God becoming a punk or God becoming sneaky or God becoming devilish. None. He is holy immutably. God is omniscient, and that will never change. 
He knows everything about everything, and his knowledge about everything is never going to slip. He doesn't have a memory bank like you and me that might crash. Alzheimer's is not a threat. He will never forget how to spell pseudonym or onomatopoeia or baloney. Do you know that there's an A in that word right there, baloney? You try and find it. God knows about the Italians and their A's that sound like I's. Immutable in his exhaustive knowledge. Crush you at trivial pursuit every time forever. God is omnipotent and he's never going to change. All things are held right within, if he had a hand, the palm of his hand. No one can stay him. God does what he wants. That is never going to change. He's never going to grow weaker. Our greatest fighters, Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, in their day, they could knock anybody out. But today, Josh could probably throw down with Mike Tyson, and he's a freshman in high school. Maybe not. What's the point? Tyson's strength is faded. We all know what's happened to Cassius Clay. God's not like that. Omnipotent, all power, never grow weak. Never. God is perfectly just, and that will never change. There will never be a sin that goes unpunished, either on Jesus on the cross or on the sinner. Never. He will never allow, never allow someone to harm someone or rape someone or seduce someone or deceive someone without acting in perfect justice in that situation. Never. Doesn't miss one. No change. God is perfectly loving, and that will never change. Infinitely, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have had this relationship of perfect, mutual, indwelling love. Perichosis, we call it. It's a beautiful thing. And that has overflown the banks of God into creating this world in love and redeeming a people for himself in love. The love of God will flood the new heavens and the new earth forever without change God's affections for his people are immutable. You never get the call that says, you know what? This is over. I'm done with you. We're breaking up. No. God's love for his own without end. God is beautiful, infinitely beautiful, and will never cease to be. Never. This one just rocks the mind. If there's anything that is fleeting in this life, what is it? It's beauty, right? We got that saying, beauty is fleeting. We say, oh, that's the pinnacle of beauty. Why do we say pinnacle? Because we know that once you reach pinnacle of beauty, there's only one direction you're going from there. And that is away from mutation, change. Farrah Fawcett and Brooke Shields and Elle McPherson and whoever the pretty girls are today, Tyra Banks, is she one of them? Gazelle, Giselle, Brady's girl. All of them either are or will be rotting corpses. You know this, right? Beauty is fleeting. We change. But not God. He is infinitely beautiful and will never cease to be beautiful. He will never grow any less beautiful ever for a second, forever. That means that heaven's just going to be, we can't even express this. We will never be able to get to the bottom of delighting in the beauty 
the majesty, the glory, the brilliance of God. He is beautiful, and that will not change. Okay, I could rock this till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'll just say that God is undiminishing in his perfections. Immutability also means that God is unchanging in his purpose or his will, his intentions, his decrees. My boy Michael Horton writes it like this. There is no contingency in the eternal decree that God's eternal decree has not taken into consideration. Nothing catches God by surprise so that he would have to alter his revealed character or change his predetermined course. In other words, because God knows all things from the beginning, whatever he has purposed out of this omniscience is certain, right? Nothing pops up to throw God off. There are no plan Bs with God. It's not a category. He doesn't need them. He is God. His eternal counsels and divine decrees, they have taken everything into account, and they don't change. And of course, this leads to the fact that God's promises never change. Matt, thanks for rolling through with the kids on that. Did you feel it in there? You know that no man or woman can ultimately be trusted, right? Even the super-duper stars among us have their days. Even my mom's had like six or seven bad days in 62 years when she might have treated you gruff, right? Because the best of us are volatile and moody and human, not God. He is the all-powerful, indomitable, unchanging God when he binds himself to a people with a promise, it's done without change. For I, the Lord, do not change. And I hope all that can sit on you. It's a lot of words. Now, as beautiful as all of that right there is, that's not the end of the story, is it? No. It still leaves a whole lot unsaid. Our text doesn't even end there with that attribute of God. And so our wrestling with this idea can't. So let me press to now what immutability does not mean. Immutability does not mean immobility. When we say that God doesn't change, can't be moved, we're not saying that God doesn't move. In denying that God can change, we're not denying that God can act. We get a feel for this right in the text we're dealing with today, right? It begins with, I, the Lord, do not change. But where does it end with? It ends with, return to me and I will return to you. And you go, time out, Cruz. Hold on. All this unchanging God stuff yelling at me for 20 minutes about this. That sounds like it would take some kind of a mutation in God right there. If he stepped away from his people, and now he's going to step back to his people, that sure feels like change. Good, Laura. I'm glad that went through your mind over there. Because that kind of language about God is all throughout the scriptures. You, you know this, right? So let's talk about it. 
Let me start here and then we'll deal with some texts. When you think of the immutability of God, of his constancy, his stability, the fact that he's there and he remains there as he is and nothing can move him, I want you to think ocean and not rock. Okay, so the metaphor of rock gets at immutability in a couple of senses and we see it used in the Psalms, you're my rock, and that's good. Why? Because a rock is there and there's no force going to move that rock. And you know that it will be there tomorrow as it was yesterday. Rock is unchangeable, yes, but rock just sits there. It's immutable, but it's also immobile, static, lifeless. It's not involved. The the rock sitting there is not a threat. It's not going to act upon you. It's not a force to be reckoned with. Rock is not involved in the action. That is not a picture of our God. So instead, I want you to think ocean. Again, a metaphor. It's not perfect, but it's better. Ocean is like rock in the sense that, which way is Revere? That way? There it is, Atlantic Ocean. And you are not moving or changing that thing. You are not going to drain that in an afternoon. It's been there. It will be there. And it will still be salty. And in the case of Revere Beach, pretty nasty. Without mutation. All days of the year. But ocean is alive. It's moving. It is involved. The ocean can make or break the sailor's day. Sometimes it's raging. Sometimes it's calm. Sometimes those waves are crashing. Sometimes they are receding. Ocean is big and vast and unmovable, but it is anything but static or immobile or lifeless. That's how I want you to think about God being immutable and yet active. Theologians talk about essence and energy, and they say that God is unchanging in his essence, but not in his energies. Uh, The one God who truly transcends the world, unchanging, is free to enter into the fray of his world and relate himself to it, okay? This is what we would call the redemptive activity of God among and for his people, what? He's involved with us. That is the context where you come across all of your texts of Scripture where you see God, quote, changing. Those are the texts where you feel, read that God repented. You ever read that before? God relented. God regretted. God responded. Yes, as the biblical story unfolds, God is a genuine actor in the story. He's just not being caught off guard or changing as he acts. There is no change in his essence or his will, but he is moving. Okay, that's a bunch of big theology words. Now let's do some text that help get this home for you. It's important that we get this. Let's do two. One, the story of Saul's deposement as king. 
through Samuel, the Lord spoke. There it is, God active. He wasn't talking, and then the next minute, he is talking. Change in God, but the change that we're talking about. He says, tell Saul to take King Agag out. That is a brutal name to grow up with right there. Agag, oof. Uh, We're going to deal with holy war when we preach through Esther. Basically, Saul's job as a vice regent to God was to execute justice by executing Agag, and he doesn't do it. So you're reading this story in 1 Samuel 15, and here's where it begins. Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king. Then it tells the story, and here's the last verse of chapter 15, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. You read that, and what do you want to do? You want to go, ball game, cruise, I got you. You're wrong. Open theism, here we come. God's just like us. There it is in the text. He makes mistakes. He backpedals. He changes his mind. He regrets things. He's mutable, just like we are. All right, hang on a second, because right in the middle of that story, you get this declarative, this statement, this doctrine. The glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Okay. So I need you to feel this. In the flow of the story, in the action of redemption and redemptive history, God is in the thick of things beautifully. So much so that when he sees Saul fail to obey, fail to do what is right, he regrets what has taken place. And yet, right in the middle of the telling of this story is this declarative statement that says, whoa, 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 but don't forget, God doesn't regret anything like a man does. So we see that God is able to truly lament over a state of affairs that he himself saw to it unchanging from eternity to have take place. God didn't change in his intention to have Saul be king and sin in this way and replaced by David downstream toward Jesus the Christ. The decree was laid down, done, finished, immutably from eternity, like all his decrees. But in the middle of it, in the working out of his unchanging degree, God is sorrowful about it. He regrets that this would take place. Okay, now here's where the mystery comes in, because you and I, we don't roll like that 99.99% of the time. When we have regrets, when we wish something didn't happen, it's because we lack foreknowledge, right? And we act in one way, and then it doesn't go the way we hoped it would, and then we're sorry, or we regret, or we wish we could go back and do it different. This is not the way that regret, relenting, repenting happens with God. It happens in spite of his perfect foreknowledge. God's way of repenting is unique to God. Before you go thinking that he is fickle and changeable as well, 
remember that his will is always being done without change, even though he's active in the midst of it in a real sense. So I could ask it like this. Did God, in a true and real sense, regret what went down with Saul and the effects of sin? Yes, that's a very fitting verb to apply to God. But does that mean that there was a mistake, a backpedaling, some kind of a change in the eternal decree and intention of God for his people in redemptive history? No, no, no. God is able to be immutable and fully engaged. As you go to your Bible and you read the narratives of redemption, when you see God being spoken of in human terms like this, rather than get all confused and scratch your head, what I want you to do is be glad about it. Be thankful that deism is a heresy. Be thankful that God is not a rock sitting unchanging but aloof in a field. Be glad that the Holy Spirit has employed human language to help us respond rightly to the action of God with us. But remember as well the truth that sits beneath all of these stories. God is not a man that he should regret or relent or repent like we do. He is immutable even when he is on the move. What's the one doctrine of Scripture that pulls these two things together more beautifully than any other? It's the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ, of God. Think of this. The idea that God, immutable, unchangeable, divine spirit, assumed our flesh, mutable, changing, human, earthy, without altering his divine nature at all. Hypostatic union, we call that one. But can you feel the beautiful combination of these two realities? The unchanging, immutable God who decrees from before time to redeem a people for himself doesn't sit there like a rock. But what does he do? He acts. He moves. He gets involved. In fact... He takes on our flesh to be born and live and die and rise, to teach and heal and correct and forgive and rebuke. What we have in Christ is the infinitely beautiful, holy, just, unchanging, omnipotent, omniscient God, remaining impervious to all the effects of human sin. And in love, he is also fully aware and fully involved with his people. Is that mysterious? Big time. But it's the kind of mystery that is not supposed to drive you to arrogance, folded arms, skepticism. It's supposed to drive you to awe and wonder and worship. And this is why these words are in our Bible. Let's go back to our text with all that being said. What's going on with these people? One of the ways to describe what's going on with these people is that they feel like God has changed. We've seen this over and over again, right? Where is the God of justice? 
What are they saying when they say that? God, you've changed. You used to be just, but now you're letting everybody get away with everything. You're not immutable. Remember when he said, I have loved you, what did they say? How have you loved us? What are they saying? God, you've changed. Maybe you loved Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and maybe Solomon, but not us. Your love has faltered. What about his promises? God, where's the glory in your temple? Where's this Messiah, this messenger of the covenant that we love? Nowhere to be found. You have failed to come through on your promises. You've broken your word. You are mutable. You, we, we don't even know who you're going to be tomorrow. You've changed. In love, what does the Lord tell Malachi to tell these people? Malachi, tell them, I do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you're not consumed. The only reason you're still alive is because I don't change. If anyone changes, it's you. You heard it in the text, right? From the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes and have not kept them. In other words, you're the ones who are fickle and unreliable and changing. You swore to obey me and follow me and keep my commands and have a heart devoted to me. And look at all the sin and the turning. You change. I don't. And that's why he's able to end with, so return to me, and I will return to you. In other words, I haven't changed. I haven't gone anywhere. I am still for you. If you would return, you will find me right where you left me, the immutable God who is unmovable. Okay, application, and I want to press it with a question. Is this doctrine of the immutability of God, is it good news or is it bad news? Who said it depends in their mind? Anybody? Don't raise your hand. We'll know you're lying. It depends. I read it like this this week. Author said, the doctrine of the immutability of God brings quieting and distress. All right, so let's start with the distress side. Immutability is terrible news. Terrible news. If you are a sinner who refuses to repent of your sin and take hold of the mercies of God in faith and obedience, terrible news. Why? Jonathan Edwards is wicked, helpful right here. One of the things that he struggled with as a pastor with his people was he couldn't understand why so many people just railed against God and hated God. He just was confused. He was like, I don't get this. We're supposed to love God and adore Him and run to Him. And instead, we curse Him and deny Him and defy Him. He was like, God is altogether lovely. Why does the human heart so hate Him? And in thinking about the reasons why, immutability made the list. He started with, Uh, Four things about God that the human heart just hates. And the first one was the holiness of God. God is holy. We know that we're not, so we hate him for it. You guys get this, right? You ever been in a class where there's like 40 people, and the pastor gives, uh, the professor 
gives an exam, and 39 of those people get like Ds and Fs and 10s. You ever had one of those stats exams? Just people weeping two-thirds away through the test. It's just horrible, right? Everybody comes back the next week, and they're just like still struggling and dragging. And the professor says, all right, everybody, we're going to review this exam. This thing was tough, huh? 39 of you got Ds and Fs. McCann rolled in with a 10. Oof, that was rough. Now, when you hear that, just picking on my friend over there, but when he hears that start from the professor, what is the flutter that comes in your heart right there? Ooh, maybe we got a retest coming here. Maybe he's going to throw that exam out. Maybe he'll grade on that bell curve, and your hopes get up. And then the pastor goes, except for John Yeager. John got 100. He scored perfectly. And so there will be no curve and no retest. And what's the response of everyone else in the class? Oh, they stand up and they applaud John, right? Oh, you're so... No, what do they do? Curse John. Hate that kid. Throwing pencils. Go to his Facebook page. Dislike. (laughs) That's how it is with us and the holiness of God. We know he's holy. We know we're not. We hate him for it. He said it's the same way with the omniscience of God. We hate the fact that we can fake everybody else out We can fool everybody with our sleight of hand. We can be great actors. Ah, but God knows my heart. I can't get away from him. Hate it. He said the omnipotence of God. We hate that there's just no shot of us overcoming the power or the will of God. None. You know that kid that you just can't beat? I hate him. We hate him for that. But then at the very end, he goes, and here's the last thing that we just hate about God. The immutability of God. We just can't stand that in his holiness, in his omniscience, in his omnipotence, he's never going to change. We've got no shot at God sinning and us being in his debt, at God forgetting, at God growing weak. No shot. Like we really want even just a dumb and dumber shot. You know what I'm talking about right there? He's in love with this girl, and he's like, what are the chances we'll get together? And she says, it's like one in a hundred million. So you're saying I got a chance. The human heart wants even one chance that maybe God is not all that he is. But then we open the scriptures, and we read, I, the Lord, do not change. And we hate it because it renders us hopeless in our rebellion. Verse 5 of Malachi 3, I will judge. I will be a swift witness. And then verse 6, and I don't change. Judgment is certain. Immutability is terrible news if you have not sprinted to the cross of Christ and found forgiveness of your sins in Him. But if you have, hello, if you have found grace in the gospel, if you have repented of your sin, if you have taken hold of the mercies of God, if you are living a life of pursuit, of obedience, 
the doctrine of immutability goes from being the worst possible bit of news to the greatest thing you have ever heard in your life. (sighs) Given the sinfulness of me and my reckless fickleness and my ever-changingness, you announce to me that God says, I don't change, Matt. I'm not going anywhere. I will never have a senior moment. I know all things. I will never grow weak. I have the power to save forever. My affections for you, my son, they're not moved ever. Nothing can move them. Is that good news? This is why whenever you see the doctrine of the immutability of God unpacked as a doctrine in Scripture, what is tied very close to those verses? Words of assurance. Words of comfort. We could do this in Hebrews. We could do this in Numbers. Let's do it in Psalms and finish. Matt opened the service reading from the Psalms. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe. They will pass away, but you are the same. Your years have no end. Can everybody hear the doctrine of the immutability of God in that text? Don't you love what it is that the psalmist chooses to compare God against, right? He doesn't go, God doesn't change like Katy Perry's outfits. Because you'd be like, big deal. She changes her outfits 47 times a weekend. It's not real stable to be. God doesn't change like the latest viral YouTube video does. Have you seen the South Korean MC Hammer yet? That's the new one that's crazy, Gangnam style. That's going to be old news like by Monday afternoon. He doesn't compare God to that. He doesn't compare God to iPhone technology four, five, six, seven and a half. He's trying to com- give you a vision of the stability of God. And where does he go? The earth, the stars, same exact place since people have been mapping them out since they started making star maps. You feel this? The earth, unmoving, certain, steady, the skies. Then what does he say? Those things are like Katy Perry's outfits compared to God. He is so stable. He changed the heavens like a t-shirt. This is how immutable, unchanging, unmovable, certain, steadfast the living God is. And then where does he go from there? Last verse. And so the children of your servants shall dwell secure, and their offspring shall be established before you. Some of you need to rest in that. No one has ever yelled at you in love that God is immutable and unchanging, and if you're his, his affections for you are certain and reliable. This is who he is. Be assured in that. All right, let's pray together. Father, we need your help. We live in the, you know, Father, you know, 
that we live in the most changing of all times in the history of humanity. With technology and the information age, nothing remains constant for a second. You know how we have been sinned against so many times by fickle and fragile and changing parents, sons, daughters, husbands, wives, friends. You know what a struggle it is for our eyes to see that you are not like everything that we know. But I pray that Seven Mile Road would grab a hold of this truth and we would see that our feet are on a rock. Even better, we've got the ocean for us, immovable, but involved, that we would find assurance in our souls. I pray that not a person would leave this room today without being able to say with a clear conscience, this is good news for me. I know what it is to repent and to find life in the immutable and yet dying, rising son of God. Come and do that for many more, I pray that you do that. Amen.